This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging, and we acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. Well may we say, God save the Queen, because nothing will save the Governor-General. You know I've searched my heart to better ways to push and pull hey whatever gets you through these days hello and welcome to well may we say a progressive podcast about australian politics this is episode 111 for friday 6th of december 2019 I'm Jeremy Sear, and each week I'll be joined by a different guest host to help me discuss what's just been happening to the country, what's likely to happen, and hopefully what we can do about it. Uh, tonight's guest host is the principal lawyer at Tenants Victoria, Ben Cording. Welcome aboard, Ben. Thank you very much for having me. It's uh, exciting to have the opportunity to uh, talk about all the things going on at the moment, because goodness knows there is a lot. Now, I feel like I feel like what we should start with the discussion that is probably the most constructive thing. So we might as well start with something positive where there's a glimmer of hope and then we can deal with the depressing shit towards the end <laughs> just leave everybody with a, <laughs> sounds, with a song sounds just fine. out of their hearts <laughs> yeah so um you're currently all working on uh the proposed amendments to the or what the, what the victorian state government has put forward in terms of uh changes to the rental laws that's right Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so at the moment the, the structure is that the laws passed probably almost close to two years ago now. Uh, the implementation is sort of given a um, deadline in the middle of next year when the laws will come into effect. The bit that's operating now is um, what they call a regulatory impact statement, which is essentially about the bits that um, government can change over time without having to pass new legislation. Uh, and one of those things in you know, amongst a raft of things includes minimum standards. So there's actually a window of time at the moment open for the public where they can have their say uh, about the regulation. So it's not sort of an unlimited slather, but um, there's some really, really critical issues in there around things like mould, family violence, um, you know, what terms, what sort of things can and can't be asked. So it's a really important window, which I think, you know, I guess we're concerned about that a lot of people may miss or, you know, coming up to Christmas they may not be aware of. Uh, we're telling this stories and actually speaking to what these regulations will be, it's really, really important and will actually make a massive difference. I mean, this is probably the biggest change we've had in about 30 years. So um, it's a small window, but a very, very important one that we want um, all Victorians to jump on board with and sort of try and un- you know unpack what's happened for them and how it's affected their lives. Because I think it's very easy when you talk about legal stuff to forget, you know, the kid that's going to school and by the way, on the weekend, we've got to move and we don't go to that school anymore. Um, yeah, very, very real issues. And I think that that there's still a fair bit of stigma for tenants about coming out about, you know, well, these laws are really, really important to us. Um, you know, it's, a, it's always something that you don't hear sort of people talking openly about in the playground going, oh, yeah, we're getting kicked out again. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a really great opportunity for people to sort of speak into uh, what, what's going on in their lives and, and what, you know, the dry legislation actually does for them. I suspect that there's also the impact of the fact that real estate agents can have uh, opaque books that they can keep on people. The fact that when you apply for something, you have to give, yeah. you, know, you know, going back, what, half a decade or more uh, rental history. You basically, uh, I, renters have kind of feel like an oppressed class that if you if you dare stand up for your rights, they're both directly yep. by taking a landlord to VCAT, in which case they can just kick you out. Even if, you, even if you, your rights are upheld at VCAT, 
They can still just give you notice and kick you out. Well, yeah, we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. I mean, look, certainly the changes the government's made have been good. Um, there's still, I think, will always be a long way until we end up sort of much more like a European country where, you know, you've got more than 50% of your population being a tenant and so that's a dominant platform. What we've seen with the legislative change that has got through is that we're actually getting rid of what's called the no reason notice to vacate. So that's historically been that sort of omnipotent threat and lack of accountability for landlords just going... But, but, but can't they... They can still give you. Um, they can still come up with a reason without too much. Well, they're, they're confined, so it's not an unlimited sort of. You know, I can put whatever I want on the table. Um, so the main ones that we see will be repairs, renovations, going to sell the property, um, landlords going to move in. So that's actually it's really been hedged down, and that that's got to be proved. So um, getting rid of that no reason notice is a massive step in the right direction. Um, there's obviously a fair bit of accountability that goes along with that. Um, but yeah, so that that's again, it's it's strengthening the platform. Um, there's still a way to go, but that, that's a huge um, change, I think, in attitude and a, and a recognition of a lot of the, the, the issues that have happened because people are scared of using their rights. That does happen. There's no, there's no illusion that that's certainly a fear in people's minds and that it does transpire. So there are people... Well, we're, we're terrified. I mean, we're, we're, we're tenants here. We, mm. There's a number of things that they're doing in the house and we're terrified to tell the landlord about them at any point because the landlord will say... All right, I'm just going to sell the house. Yeah, look, it, it's an interesting issue. I mean, obviously, there's there's people on both sides of all sorts of personalities. Um, a lot of landlords have a vested interest in the property being well kept and well looked after, and you know, some people do want to look after their tenants. But it's just that unpredictability of knowing, you know, who are you dealing with, and the agents create, I think, a lot of. Um, ambiguity in that relationship too you know you might have a great landlord and terrible agent or vice versa um, can be very very tricky um, I mean particularly some of the issues that you're talking about earlier in regional areas I mean that, that that's just sort of uh, exacerbated so much more where you sort of you know you've got two estate agents in town um, and they pretty much control the market and if you get your nose out of joint you might need to sort of look at well are we going to move town so so that that, that fear is real um, tenancy databases are limited at three years now, which is good. And one of the other things that sort of come through with the raft of amendments is actually kind of like a landlord naughty list where if they're not complying with orders, they actually may and the agents may be listed uh, in a public way where they say, well, you know, why would I want to rent with you? It clearly shows a history that you guys are not good to deal with. So it's ideal, but um, the market, it's hard because, you know, everyone's still desperate for finding houses. I mean, that's... Yeah, the, the power imbalance is totally the wrong way. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I, I think, I mean, I don't want to be too cynical and, you know, we get to the negative stuff towards the end, but the challenge is that this, this is about strengthening the platform for people that have tenancies in terms of accessibility and the housing. I mean, that remains such a dominant issue in a housing crisis. Um, one of our main concerns, I mean, it's sort of even sort of indicated a little bit in the RIS is about how these minimum standards are going to be subsidised. You know, will rents go up? We already know that people are, you know, stressed as they can be in terms of cutting the rent as it is. So if there's sort of this attitude of, I'll just pass it on to the tenants, um, that, that's obviously a genuine concern. Which yeah. you need to have, you need to have some kind of regulative regulation stopping that because like there's no, the rents at the moment don't bear any resemblance to costs. They are mm. to do with the fact that um, the landlords have been able to inflate and then, you know, one landlord, they, they yeah. jack it up and they say, oh, rents in the area have gone up. Yeah. Like their costs haven't gone up. Yeah. They just get to jack them up. It's, it's, <laughs> it's got nothing yeah, to do with... There's, there's a huge problem in security about sort of how that works um, where, you know, they defer and go, oh, well, they're getting a good price, so we'll get a good price. And I'd say that's not confined to tenancies. I mean, that's sort of across the housing market in general that there's sort of this collaborative interest to push the market up as high as possible. And 
I think that for those that are struggling and, you know, their wage is certainly not in parity with CPI and other sort of housing inflation, yeah. um, that, that, that's why we have such a, a diabolical situation in housing across the board. Obviously, the, the, the headline message, and we'll repeat at the end, is that there is that the draft residential tenancy amendment regulations have been released. They're yeah. open for public feedback until the 18th of December, so yep. the Wednesday before Christmas. Yep. Um, you can go to tenantsvic.org.au slash regulations. Yep. Um, and there's a form to send them in. Yep. And also it goes through that. So it's a, a helpful website that, that goes through some of the issues that you guys, as you guys see it. Yeah, we've, we've put up sort of like a scorecard sort of indicating the things that we think are, are pretty good um, and also some of the areas which we think need a bit of work and some of the ones that we're pretty unhappy about. I mean, look, overall, the, the, act is, the act is good. It brings about some changes. There are some pretty significant trade-offs. Um, you know, which always happens in politics. Um, things like open inspections, we weren't particularly wrapped that they were so clearly regulated. One of the issues in the regulations is how much you get compensated when you have someone, um, you know, come through and do an open inspection. Currently, the proposal is half a day's rent. Um, we think that's pretty ordinary. Um, we think that's pretty inconvenient. A lot of people are harassed about, you know, getting their property up to almost being showroom standard. And there's not a lot of protection about, you know, getting a, a notice to vacate. I'm sorry, not a notice to vacate, a breach of duty notice saying the place isn't very clean. So there's there's some work to be done, um, but we would like to see tenants to be sort of duly compensated for that sort of stuff. Yeah, I'd, I'd be more bullshy than that. I'd say uh, a week's rent to the point where it is actually a disincentive for landlords doing it and they would only do it if they need to. And like it, it feels like just as with pretty much any one of the rights that are being improved, down to the whole idea of improving renters' rights at all, that all of what are portrayed by the other side as negative side effects of those things are in fact exactly what we want to have happen. So um, in the in the case of having the compensation be at a level which is a disincentive for landlords doing it willy-nilly and they would only do it if they actually want to sell the property, um, that where they say, oh, well, then we won't be able to just do it willy-nilly. That's a good thing. That's actually the way it should be. You should only do it if you need to. There should be, it's, it's certainly extremely onerous on the tenant, the, not not just having to make the house pristine, but even just having strangers go through your home. You don't feel secure when strangers are going through your home. You'd if if you get out of the house, then how do you know that your your things are going to be protected? Um, let alone your own privacy. And if you if you're in the house, you're trying to what keep an eye on all these different like the the idea of having strangers coming through your house, which is entirely to the landlord's benefit and not to the benefit of the the tenant who's paying rent. That's such a hassle to the and 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 uh, an infringement of the the tenants. You know, basic rights in their home, their own home. That's an invasion of their home. But damn right, it should it should be as or more inconvenient for the landlord to do that to the point where it's possible if they need to, but certainly uh, not something they would do lightly. So, and and same with the renters' rights in general. So, like if we we looked holistically, like pulled out and just looked at the broad range of the idea of improving renters' rights to the point where renters it's considered their home and not the landlord's investment and then there's all the landlords who will respond to that by fine i'm going to sell up and leave the rental market like that's a bad thing that's a great thing yeah no absolutely i mean that's that's one of the biggest things like in terms of negative gearing and otherwise there's this great phobia it's not that we have a shortage of housing it's just that we have a shortage of affordable housing so i mean absolutely i mean that that would be the ideal and in in many respects uh, the irony of all this is that there was an earlier victoria law reform commission report around you know private you know inspections and you know people being concerned about security and family violence on top of that as well um and i think that a lot of the changes were a result of that um that report and again we weren't particularly 
pleased with the results of that, generally speaking. So, yeah, the, the disincentive. I mean, the other thing in the regulations currently on foot is around when do people get paid? Um, it would be great. You know, you turn up and go, here's your 50 bucks in your hand. We, we, we don't want tenants having to chase no. things all the time. Um, that, that seems to be like, I mean, there's a power imbalance, but then not only is there a power imbalance, but there's also the challenges of the burden is on the tenant to go to VCAT. And we know that in the vast majority of cases, um, tenants are really scared to go to VCAT. It's, it's a fairly confronting. I mean, landlords, in many, many cases, they're not the ones turning up. They pay an agent. Um, you know, that's a tax deductible event. So, you know, it really does put them back foot. And particularly when you're talking about things like rent arrears, the other irony, of course, is that you miss out on a day's worth of pay because you've got to yeah. turn up to VCAT to defend yourself. So yeah, there's there's some there's some pretty entrenched issues that we're, we're well aware of. I mean, that's why our service exists. But at this point, we've got, we've, got to ta- we've got to take the opportunities that we've got to make the most of it. And that's why, you know, again, we're calling on Victorians to, to jump in there and say exactly that of going, you know, how would owners feel if they had you know people coming into their homes you know it's, it's just that genuine respect and empathy for for, for what it means yeah well this is the thing I, I I've said this I've said this idea that I reckon a, fun, a huge part of it comes down to a view of, of renters as a class and like yeah. you, you were alluding before to the idea that it's almost like for the kids of, of renters it's like a shameful thing that you don't admit to and it's it kind of it feels like a lot of the rights that landlords have over tenants come down to the idea that it's okay for it to be done to tenants because they're not re- they're second class people to the point where yeah these six monthly inspections mm. no landlord no person who owns their home in quotes because it's usually owned by the bank mm. but nobody who owns their home would tolerate somebody coming in and inspecting how they're keeping their house every six months and and like if you wanted to argue what why should anybody get to do that it's my own home okay well the banks it's security for the bank's loan so yeah. the bank should have the right to come through your house Absolutely. every six months and check that you're keeping the security for their loan in a manner that they like Australians would riot the and the only reason why they think it's okay that tenants have to put up with that like what explanation other than old that's just tenants bad luck to them they should be richer and own a house like the whole idea the whole underlying sentiment is tenants should have to put up with what I wouldn't yeah. do because they haven't been they're not good enough people to own property yeah, yeah. so the, I, th- I think there are some really deeply entrenched I mean there's some symbolic movement you know from the changes of landlords to now not what will be called residential rental providers but I think that there are some deeply entrenched issues there I mean you know comparatively you've got the same I issues I think they think of themselves as laws well, well <laughs> land- that, 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 that's the idea of sort of changing the, the nomenclature of you know who's who but I think the, the fundamental power um, issues there I mean that that's why again we're looking at getting standards so you know at least we can say that people have got good quality housing i mean that's one step uh, for for many many people that we see i mean there is just that fundamental issue of a total lack of respect for what that home means and i think that the stigmatization and it's it's a lot of people as you're saying they should be outraged but because you've you sort of tolerated it and that it's what you can access um it really does affect people's mentality and it, and it creates a, a a self-perpetuating cycle i mean that, that's one of the hardest things that we find at an advocate level is you've got to pick um, tenants who are prepared to run pretty tricky cases. So the irony of all the open house inspections is that, you know, for 25 years, people were doing open house inspections and we ran a case and were successful in saying the language doesn't say open house inspection. The language of the current act talks about bringing a prospective buyer. That means someone's got a real look at the place, not just opening the door every Saturday, regardless of whether or not anyone turns up. And so we actually had a pretty good win. And then the irony is that the, the legislation came through, I think, because of the 
the Law Reform Commission report um, with this framework. So, I mean, certainly, as you're saying, the half a day for all of the inconvenience on a weekend, people, you know, work all through the week, you know, in many cases, trying to get to have some space with their family. And then you've got to be running around. I mean, I often tell people in terms of reasonable standard, well, you know, my undies are sometimes on the couch because guess what? People do their laundry in the lounge. You know, that doesn't make the place unreasonably clean. It's actually just that's what happens in a home sometimes. So, you know. How extraordinary is it that landlords, that agents can come through? I've had people, I've, I don't know, friends who had a landlord like come through and check the inside of the oven, yeah. and, like look for dust. Yeah. Like, what the hell business is it of them? Like, yeah. you still have to do a professional clean when you move out. What, who the hell do they think they are? Well, well, well and that, that's entirely the point, is you have this profession and, and proving behaviour. Like, I mean, you know, if you were to address an issue like that, we do have people that go through and move people's stuff around and, you know, they do their little lick of the finger and, oh, there's some dust on that. Um, you know, you've got to go through VCAT, spend 65 bucks and get an order of going, you know, that's not what reasonably clean means. So the the balance of trying to rectify that behaviour about dignity and respect, I mean, they're the sort of things which um, there's been some other legislation that's come into the Residential Tenancy Act called uh, Specialist Disability Accommodation, and one of the things they recognise is around sort of, you know, dignity and respect, and and I think that that, that shouldn't be confined to just disability. I mean, that, that should be for everyone. Um, I mean, it's it's fantastic that it's there, but by no means, you know, do I critique that being in the disability framework. But, yeah, I mean, that that's the sort of stuff I guess you're dealing with is that that, that behavioural message and what it's to people. I mean, that, that's why it's so important that people actually share those stories, you know, at this time to go, we want standards that are, you know, something that we can hold people accountable for and that we're no longer afraid to say, look, we're tenants. That's, that's a life choice. It's a lifestyle choice. It provides mobility um, well, and it's stability. A, it's not a choice, it's, but, but it's not even that anymore. No, like, no. part of, isn't part of the problem that basically because of, the, because of the market being filled with investors, they've priced out all the people who were previously been able to have bought a home yeah. and now they're Renting, thereby pushing up prices for the people who would traditionally have chosen to rent all yeah, that's right. Like basically the the whole it's not a choice. They basically got an entire generation that's condemned to rent because the only way anybody's entering the housing market is if they are obscenely rich, like in the top ten percent yeah. of earners, or they get spotted by they're fortunate enough to be, you know, in a situation where a parent or or a rich relative can, you know, mm. spot them a house. Yeah. Sort of yeah. like it's it's uh and it feels like a huge part of the, the imbalance and the the attitude is because you've got where you used to have you used to have people who rented by choice and you used to have people who were landlords by choice and they were happy with it just being a you know it was a an investment it wasn't a hugely profitable one they they were you know, they weren't looking for vast wealth from it it was just a it, there were there were landlords who owned, owned houses and rented them out but that and that was a, at a certain level and then because of the halving capital gains tax and, and the negative gearing, um, the basically investment environment flooding the market full of investors. Yep. And and then each time, each lot of investors came in, pushed it up more, which meant another lot of people who just wanted to make a quick buck came in and that all, it's like this this circle that like the more money that comes in, the more people that come in and so forth. Like that the market is full of the same people who would chuck a wobbly about the idea of any kind of renters' rights and say, well, fine, I'm going to leave. Those are the people who shouldn't the 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 world the country would be better if they weren't landlords like those it's like this it's like almost like a different type of landlord it's the, these people who are only in it to make a quick buck and they want the real estate agent to to manage it to make the most money out of it as they can um and then which is why the, the real estate agents seem to have they, they they've got a bit more of they they seem to be a bit more full of themselves too because like they've got all these people with money who just told them to run it for yep. them um, and left it to the discretion of landlords, and it feels like 
so much of it is down to because because of the amount of money that went in and then fulfilled it. You have an entire type of person who is now a, a property owner and investor who has no interest in the human beings, doesn't recognize that there's sort of a back, that this is a different, it's not like investing in shares where, um, you know, there's a risk of losing money yep. um, and you're not oppressing a person. They view this as like a thing that they expect a high return. They expect to not have to deal with anything more than if they were investing in shares. They expect not to have to deal with a human being whose home that is. Um, and then it, that's a, that sort of create made that existing sort of like class attitude between landlords and renters much worse. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I, that's certainly been our observations is that, you know, you sort of have um, old older investors, you know, that, that just had quite low rents. They didn't have an interest in, you know, mortgaging themselves to the hilt to have six or seven properties. And I think the market being flooded with investors is exactly that. Everyone's so desperate that you buy up the, the market and it just it, it creates that um, security as you described. I wouldn't disagree with that. We certainly see that, you know, when, um, you know, mum or dad dies and then the kids inherit the home, you know, they're all in there pretty quick going, gee, why was dad only charging 200 bucks he could be charging 400 yeah um, yeah so i mean it's certainly an observation it's, it's I, I guess as i said the, the platform will change when that balance affects such a generation that the majority of people are in fact um renters rather than it being the majority you know owners i mean we've certainly seen that as a statistical shift and i unfortunately i can't see any reason that 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 is going to change and I, again this this legislative is uh changes i suspect a response to that um which is both good but again it doesn't actually deal with that fundamental issue about sort of dignity respect and um, as much protection and affordability for those that you know are wanting to, to buy their homes which is true for many people so yeah can i ask you about uh, there's two two yeah. issues i wanted to ask you one about the minimum standards um and like i note that we what well, we had the report coming out this week that australia can very shortly expect to have like 50 degree summers mm. and you've got this <laughs> one of those other things of where if it costs more to be poor. If you're a rich person, you can get a subsidy for solar panels. Yep. You can have a nice, you can insulate your house. You can have cheaper electricity bills through yep. that. If you're a poor person, yep. stuck renting, yep. you'll be in the shittiest house that'll have no insulation, yep. um, single glazed windows. Yep. Um, the, the And we've got an ancient air conditioner that, that's, uh, it's a Sanyo built in what, the 70s. It, like a, <laughs> it basically sounds like you're, you're starting a earth moving machine when you turn it on. And that's, that's in a house that's got air conditioning in quotes. Mm. Um, and and but it costs a fortune to yep. run everything. So basically, all these huge energy costs, particularly you know being exacerbated by climate change, um, are massively disproportionately falling on the poor. Yep. And as I, I can, I don't, it doesn't look like the Victorian government's been like surely by this point, the minimum standard if you're going to rent build a new house, let alone if you're going to rent one out, should be double glazing and windows. Yep. Um, and, and air conditioning now should be a, a basic. You know, it should be minimum solar panels, minimum. You know, having actual air conditioners. An efficient, energy efficient air conditioner that was built sometime this century would be a, a start. Like, sure. surely those are not, not not just like luxuries anymore. They're kind of becoming essentials because you know when you have a fifty degree day, yeah. you don't have an air conditioner. There, there's, there was a few summers a few years back where you know you did you had exactly that. You know, people with um, heart conditions or other elderly people, young kids. I mean, you certainly know that you know young kids. It doesn't take much for them to get to the point where they're dehydrated and got sunstroke and the like. Um, so, I mean, look, we certainly advance that as a position. I, I certainly was personally disappointed to not have the um, the air conditioning as at least recognised in some way. I mean, even the heating was a bit of a struggle sort of working out. So there, there is just that same resistance of going how much rollout, how much kickback is there going to be from this? I mean, it's great that heating is there. I mean, there's certainly no question about that, that it, it's it's just that's necessary. I mean, in some countries, you know, you die without heating. We're not quite there yet. Um, the solar, the, no, we're the reverse. You die without air yeah. 
Yeah, well, well, that, that that could well be the case, and I certainly think that there, there's room for that. Um, I mean, the other side with these these regulations is that it's now really a stronger political platform because it doesn't have to go through the same legislative process. So, I mean, in some ways, I'm hopeful that you know this will bring attention to people saying, "Look, this is our story." You know, Grandma did; she got heat stroke and she died. She should have bloody had an air conditioner. Um, is there a risk though that you'll get the, the reverse, mm. which is that the other side? Mm. I don't know how much your experience, mm. your experience, the state Labor government listens to the real estate lobby, who mm. are pretty closely aligned with the Libs. Mm. But like, how much clout? Because I mean, their their base position surely is just nothing should happen that will um, negatively affect investors. Yeah. Whereas that really should be one of the goals. Yeah. That the investors are discouraged and, and there'd be this down. With what Melbourne and Sydney property prices since the election have just skyrocketed again. Like, there should be something pushing back because otherwise it's just going to get worse and worse. Yeah. The state Labor government, how much of that, you know, does the real estate industry really mm. have their ear? How much, yeah. how much yeah. is Labor like just trying to balance between the two as opposed to sure. being willing to stand up and say, actually, you know what? You guys have had a free run for too long. It needs to go backwards. <laughs> Look, I'm personally not great with politics. What what I can tell you is that, you know, I've been doing this for 10 years and, you know, our service has been around to close to 40 years. Um, The Act is 97. This is the biggest shift we've seen in a long time. So I I think there is a recognition that this is uh, got an economic cost that if we don't respond now, what's the consequence? We're going to have huge amounts of people that are homeless. I mean, as I said, these are good issues for those that are tenants, but it's the broader issue about housing affordability remains. Um, so it's certainly a good change. Um, how much you know anyone's got anyone's ear? I, I guess that's that, that's the important thing of coming back to the people about people telling their stories. That you know when you feel intimidated, I, th- I think that 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 idea of shame is is really something that needs to be transformed into an idea of accountability. Um, and that that's you know an important role for everyone, for individuals, for consumer affairs as a regulator. Um, it's something that we all need to be um, you know telling those stories. You know as you say, you know there are a lot. We we obviously don't get the happy stories there are a lot of people that resolve their stuff but for those that don't and for what it means for them um you know we we need to be investing the energy here i mean you know domestic violence you know the struggles of being able to afford rent you know these are all things that i think you know you you don't treat in isolation people need a stable base to you know go to work that they need that space so it's it's something which i think is um a good move by the government um obviously there's a long way to go and you know i don't think that this will be enough to stabilize things as much as they would perhaps like in terms of you know what's going on with the housing market but um, as far as protecting and providing stability um, certainly you know the government's ears are open and again <laughs> if, if everyone can jump on engage Victoria and tell whatever their stories is whether it's air conditioning I mean the solar panels you mentioned earlier is a really interesting issue they they are now trying to explore that sort of shared rebate buying scheme it's still again very very beneficial for landlords um, but the rebates and the other things there's now a solar scheme that will probably come into effect over the next sort of nine months or so um, to allow tenants to have the benefit of again just what should be a service in the property um, but as far as air conditioning goes that that remains something which you know um, we're, we're very hopeful of um, but at the moment it's not on the table and obviously that's uh, a frustrating thing so we're, we're, we're hoping and we'll continue to lobby to make sure that you know people are able to tolerate the climates I mean certainly out in regional areas I mean you know the fruit is cooking on the trees and the land is dry um, I think regional Victoria and you know all the things that this means for regional Victoria um, they have a really really important voice uh, in this narrative and we obviously are keen to hear 
you know how how the farmers and you know people who are working out on farms how they're going with it and you know what what this would mean for them because as you say there's no point in making heating if you don't have any insulation um, and we, we don't have that at the moment um, and you know the last thing you want is to drop a $900 bill for an inefficient heater to try and keep warm I mean that's only going to be negative course rent arrears for everyone so we're hoping that there's some smarter policy that will come about um, in terms of energy efficiency. Do you guys also lobby the government in relation to other legislation so for example minimum standards in in building houses for mm, example mm. like because it seems like that's one area that like it doesn't have an immediate return in terms of the you know the properties that people are living in now but yep. it ha- it's got a lag of like you know 10 20 years whatever the, but the, when those new houses are you know the majority so if, if they're built properly now they should at least be double glazing. You can't say triple glazing. You know, yeah, they should at least yeah. be built. Um, yeah. Like, is that a thing that the tenants union is also campaigning in Look, relation it, to it, those issues as well? In amongst everything else going on, it's probably not where we've historically put our focus. I mean, one of the major issues with the buildings in general is that you know a building's um, regulation is based on the time of its construction. So you see a huge diversity of standards. So that's why these minimum standards, at least in rental properties, will will be a platform for forcing a landlord or an owner to actually bring that up to a particular standard where otherwise um, doing those sort of uh, amendments uh, or, or, you know, those shifts in terms of what the, the building codes are um, for, for older properties, I mean, that, that would be a huge... Um, sort of feasibility question but absolutely are we interested you know would we participate in anything with the department of environment and sustainability about that yes we do consult with them um, but in terms of the housing construction across the board um, we tend to think that the most efficient is to directly help the um, the tenants and and what what you know, happens in that space. So, but energy efficiency. I mean, it, it's a, it's a it's a technical aspect in terms of you know what is the efficiency. You know, what are the costs for that? And I think there is a lot of uh, research that still needs to be done about you know the knock on effect of someone not having enough money. You know, when you get a nine hundred dollar bill, what we see is that people pay off their utility bills um, when they could get a payment plan, uh, and instead they end up in rent arrears and then end up evicted. So that there really needs to be a strong awareness for people. You know, in terms of some of the energy and water ombudsman framework to go. What what is the thing that I need to pay for most? How do I protect myself? And and that requires you know a fair bit of clueiness. And again, we'd really encourage people to contact our service. That you know if they're getting in trouble, we don't necessarily give out financial um, advice or we don't give sort of money out to people. But just making some smart decisions can be helpful. But at the end of the day, as you're saying, what we want is smart policy good quality structures that people can put their roots down in and you know and that that's their home and they can trust that the services there aren't going to effectively have massive hidden costs for trying to stay cool <laughs> i have to say that the what now seem to have been included the, the the changes from the um so again every i strongly recommend everybody to go into the tenants vic.org.au forward slash regulations mm. site where there's an opportunity to put in that contribution between now and wednesday week um, but also, uh, you've gone through some of the the changes. So, like where where we've gained on minimum standards, this stuff looks like stuff that should have been minimum standards in the nineteen fifties. Deadlocks on external doors, vermin proof rubbish and recycling bins, working toilets, bathrooms with hot and cold water, kitchens with working appliances and yep. hot and cold water, basic structural soundness of properties, yep. access Tra- to lighting. To- How is that not a regular <laughs> access look, to lighting? It's, 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 it's pretty tragic. I mean, we we have for for quite some time. I mean, this is the irony. So when you 
you when you're a tenant and you rent, it is a consumer trader dispute. It is a transaction that's covered by the Australian Consumer Law. The Australian Consumer Law has language like fit for purpose. There's very, very few other things where you could go and buy a product and it would be perhaps as unsafe as some of the houses that we see. And you wouldn't end up with some massive product recall. I mean, you know, like it's good that they've put in the um, the RCD or residual current devices, safety switches sort of stuff. But again, like I, I in my time working here, I'm still flabbergasted that I could have a kid go into a house to rent and they could jam a knife in the in the plug and get electrocuted. Like it, it just as a consumer product or as a service like it's a great change but I, i'm also gobsmacked like it, it is one of those well, according to this mm. it's not till 2022 so yeah the, the ones for now which again aren't now because you're saying it hasn't actually come into effect yet um access to light in interior rooms weatherproof mm-hmm. that's a new one apparently yeah. mold free properties um but you're like on here these things electrical safety delayed until 2022 mm-hmm. window coverings delayed until 2021 yeah. and then things that aren't in there at the moment bathroom and toilet window coverings basic cooling and air conditioning energy efficiency ventilation and insulation um no no requirement for owners to tell prospective renters that a property doesn't meet the minimum standards minimum standards don't apply to tenancies commenced prior to july 2020 <laughs> so it doesn't protect the rest of us unless we start again no Phase out. well, well, I mean, well that's right wow. I mean, that, that's that, it, it is it it's it is a little bit um uh shocking in some ways the the one of the other sides of a lot of this transition is around what they call transitional provisions about you know does it apply to new tenancies because the, the nature of where um the particular minimum standards sit are on starting or occupying a new tenancy so w- we do have some concerns and we, we are sort of trying to talk with government around um getting some meaningful transition i mean because if you look at public housing and community housing you know these people have been there for you know 10 20 years more um and so they're not necessarily going to be starting a new tenancy anytime soon so we're really looking for some um uptake um from government to just make sure that you know they're giving the quality and standard and essentially the dignity that people deserve under this legislation you know it's the the government's made some pretty big promises you know there's two million renters and there's a whole bunch of community housing public housing um and we want to make sure that everyone is actually given the, the the fruits of, of what this effort has been to date. So so that's certainly something that we're continuing to lobby for and the transitional provisions will make it pretty confusing and we, we want to make sure, again, that people contact our service to see if they can get the best advice to make sure that no one's pulling the wool over their eyes about, you know, what the changes are or what they actually mean. I say there's something on here that looks like a positive change, which is some restrictions on what they can ask on application forms mm. because that, 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 the, the amount of stuff, even things like... Um, where there's, where there's one of the new ones that you hear about is that supposedly we're going to be able to have pets now. Yep. But the problem is that if a landlord uh, asks the question on the application form and you tell them honestly, mm. then they can just not select you. They don't have to t- justify their decision. They just select someone else. So these people are still going to be afraid to tell the landlord and they're still going to be running doing the thing where they you know have to, on an inspection day, run off and hide the cats somewhere. Mm. Like mm. this. Um, but in terms of... Que- so like I would say... That shouldn't even be a question you can ask on an application, but it looks like there are at least some restrictions. Um, so you said that there's some stuff. Yeah. There's some new banning, that banning some questions about previous legal disputes or actions. Yep. Although, of course, in the age of Google, yeah. like if anybody does go and make, you know, run a test case. Yeah. Well, like, well anyway, that's a problem. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's certainly a known issue in terms of sort of identifying, sticking your hand up and that being entrenched so everyone can find it. Um, yeah, you want to have a last name like Smith. So so in, in, in matters like that, um, we are seeing sort of some recognition of discrimination. Um, so on various characteristics, but there's, there's still, you know, some uh, qualities of family units and, and otherwise that probably are still being exposed. So it's it's a step in the right direction, again, but uh, th- there are probably some uh, 
aspects. And again, with an emerging digital market where a lot of that sort of stuff, um, uh, there are certain uh, platforms now where you know, you've got to go through all their fields and search. So we need to make sure that um, they're captured in this process as well to make sure that... Maybe, maybe it mm. needs to be... Does it, should it be really... A, does it really need to be... Because of things like discriminating against people based on their, their surname, for example, mm. assuming that they've got a... Uh, making assumptions about who they are mm. based on, on what surname they have. Maybe it should be an internal... Maybe it should be that, that tenants apply mm. through without a name. They apply with their details through an online... Uh, through maybe a government-run system. Yeah. Um, and the information is provided to the, the landlords of... The prospective, the prospective tenants being their... Um, the family situation and their income yeah, and, yeah. Their, and what their job is. Yeah. And that's it. That's all the information they get. They pick someone from that and then that's who gets the house and you remove all of that discrimination. But the only way to do that is something as um, so that, oh, that takes that power away from the real estate agents who've clearly shown that they will abuse it. Yep. Like, yep. I mean, that's that might, that might sound like a bolshy suggestion, but like, is that really... You know, what would your... Well, well I mean... It look, seems to me like the look, only way you can overcome that. <laughs> if, if I had my way, I'd totally agree with you. Um, as I said, we, we are taking some steps in the right direction. Uh, we have a long way to go. I mean, the same thing would go for job interviews in terms of blind, uh, you know, interviews with, with who's the best candidate. So so there are so many biases that operate. And, you know, I'm a white middle class, you know, male in a man middle management position. So, you know, th there are some real concerns around, um, you know, how do people... Because, I mean, even if you do find this discrimination, the, the other side of this is actually how do people realise um, that that's happened? What do they do once they've realised that's happened? So we have well, there's no way. Is there? Well, it's, it's completely opaque. Yeah, they don't have to take yeah. it. They can just say, "Oh, somebody else got it." Yeah. So, so I mean, that that sort of accountability. There, there is sort of um, human rights and equal opportunity commission. But again, you've got to get some pretty diligent people that are pretty confident uh, and that are willing to go through that process and the the conciliation process. How would you prove it? Well, well, well that's right. How would you prove it's, that that's what it was? It, yeah, it's a reverse onus in terms of going well. Um, Probably the cases where we've seen it most overtly is where the person has preliminarily been accepted and then the um, protected characteristic under the Equal Opportunity Act becomes realised afterwards and then they try and back out of it and then you sort of go, well, yeah. you said you were, you accepted them, what changed? So there is a reverse, uh, we'll call a reverse onus in that sort of situation, but again... It, it is difficult to prove. So they're in the right direction. Um, there's a much better incorporation of the Equal Opportunity Act and discrimination factors throughout the new amendments, which is great. Um, but we will, again, need to be running test cases and, and people will need to be aware. Um, I mean, that can happen in all sorts of reasons. You know, people can describe uh, or have issues of mental health where they have, you know, an episode of some form um, and all of a sudden they're like, oh, I don't want someone like you in my house and you get a no reason notice. So that no reason notice going out the door is good, but we can still see that there might be other notices that could potentially be abused. So that's why uh, it's incumbent on services like us, it's incumbent on regulators to make sure that everyone's telling their story, even if they can't necessarily substantiate, to say, well, this is what I think happened. Well, on the subject of them being able to, a landlord being able to end a lease, um, and, and keeping in mind that like when they've extended leases now and they've said, oh, you can have, we can, there's supposed to be these longer lease terms. At the moment, no landlords are going to do it mm. because the, the, if it's a short lease and they can... Um, end the tenancy more easily and get somebody new in at a higher rent and like yep. there's I, it seems really we've been asking our landlord for a longer lease and they've they've just gone no we prefer to keep you, you know, on month to month where you've got no security yep. can't put anything can't put an air conditioner in can't do anything because you, you don't know that we won't just kick you out in a moment yep. um but i would have thought that that perhaps the only way to have the proper balance in relation to uh when landlords need to be able to send people out and the security that tenants as human beings should be able to have in their homes, like, you know, the equivalent thing in Europe, 
maybe what we need is a situation where if except for if somebody's not paying their rent or they've done you know serious damage like the landlord drives past and sees there's a big hole in the house or something <laughs> yeah. like that unless it's, except for those cases i would say that if a landlord wants to evict a tenant they want to end a lease for any reason mm. other than those two they need to give a year's notice yep and they need to pay the reasonable moving costs of the tenant because at the moment Tenants, we, we, we tenants have to move every couple of years. We keep being, you know, tenants get get the landlord wants to um, move on. They've got, mm. those, and all of that cost that costs money to some of the country's poorest people. Oh, absolutely, that's expensive. Absolutely, and and if you turn around and said the landlord should pay that, you'd have all the people in the Herald Sun comments going, "Oh, outrageous! Why should the mm. landlord have to? They're just ending a service. Why should they have to pay? Because the tenant has to find that money. Yeah, yeah. They they actually the tenant they should also have to release the bond early too. Because the tenant has to find a new bond. Yeah. The money is yeah. for removalists. Like, it's really expensive being uh, not only inconvenient and a hassle mm. being required to move at the landlord's convenience, but also really expensive and difficult. So I would say that, like, if the landlord wants to end the tenancy, they should be required. That should be a requirement. They, they want to end it for their own, you know, profitable reasons, for their financial reasons. Cool. Well, the la- tenant shouldn't have to be out of pocket as well as inconvenience. Look, absolutely. I mean, that that would be an ideal. And, I mean, if you put something like a, a significant disability where, you know, you can't just tuck the stuff in the back of your, you know, your trailer and off you go, which, you know, mo- moving is a massive task. And I think even for our service, it's easy when you talk about this framework and for the VCAP members as well, you talk about this framework and you get used to it, but actually what it means to uproot, to clean, it, it's a huge undertaking, one that I totally agree should never be done lightly. And, I mean, it's interesting because there was a... Um, national sort of affordability scheme called the NRAS and uh, what we saw in that there was a tax base incentive saying you know you provide low cost affordable housing we'll provide some tax incentives and you've got to sign up for this for 10 years it would be really great to see you know just a clear acknowledgement of going, this is an investment property and it will just be put into essentially, you know, like a pool or as you're suggesting some other um, uh, operations where it's just, it's essentially a an asset to recognise that the state and the people providing in that market are regulated, very heavily regulated to that point where, you know, people are not shuffled around arbitrarily. The, the issue that we often see, and again, this sort of comes back to who the modern landlord is, is around, you know, there's a lot of flipping of properties. I think the, the market, you know, has a lot more, we're trying to get ahead Head, we fix it up or whatever it is and you know they want to sell it or they just ride sort of the capital inflation and that really drives like we, we seem to see huge amounts of people get notices to vacate where they say oh we're going to sell you know it's on the market or they have a sales campaign that goes on for you know in some cases like you know eight nine months even a year where they're just asking too much and the tenants putting up with all those open inspections so uh, absolutely I mean they're the sort of things that I would expect where where you know we get a platform where the majority of citizens are now or you know community members are, are now going to be um, tenants and and you know that may well be the direction that we're headed. Um, so this is again certainly a good start, but I, th- I think that's really a question of the open mindedness to go well. Is this actually about you know smart policy? Is this about making sure that people have got housing where you know the the effects on the family unit, the stress that goes on to this, the loss of wages for people that you know have to deal with all this stuff because they can't turn up to work. There's some some really big picture stuff, which, I, you know, there are there are certainly many academics in this space, but I think understanding the journey, particularly for many um, renters, you know, single parents that are carers for people with a disability or, you know, people that um, aren't able to access, um, you know, uh, 
regular work i mean the casualization of the workforce is obviously a massive issue for trying to prove hey i've got a bit of rent arrears but i can pay it off over time the stability of income is a massive factor um in the rent well, and the yeah. idea that if you piss them off yeah the idea that you could be that, that, that it could become literally impossible to find housing. They, like this, the whole idea behind a tenants database, surely, mm. like the idea is that we can just say no. Mm. So like somebody gets, basically gets blacklisted from housing, which is a fundamental human right. Yeah. Like what are you supposed to do? <laughs> it's, it's, it's also like the guy, government's idea that they can cut people off of social security and be like, oh, well, bad luck. You can just starve to death in the gutter. Yeah. Like it should not be possible yeah. to be in a situation where you can't get housing and you can't get um, social security, like those things, yeah. are supposed to be the bottom line. You know, absolutely, they're absolutely. Their needs, and, and, their human and, needs, and, and that's what we're seeing. I mean, we're seeing a massive increase in the number of low-income households in the rental market. I think it's you know something in, in the order of about you know a forty-three percent increase over you know the past sort of 20, 30 years. So that that's not insignificant. And, and I think what what we're looking at is we're looking at um, public housing, and there's, in my opinion, probably a bit of a movement towards privatization or quasi-privatization in that that's deferred to what are called community housing. Um, and and that that's got some issues about accountability. Um, it might be able to be redressed by you know incorporating and recognizing that they are performing some public functions in terms of you know these is housing for people that can't otherwise access it. But I mean the waiting list is massive. You know you're looking at sort of you know eighty thousand plus, and a lot of them being you know kids. You know in that family you know there's twenty four thousand sort of families where they're just sort of like going we're waiting to find something that's stable so I can sort of almost begin my life. Um, you know, have, having housing is just that fundamental. And, and again, it's got to be looked in its totality about sort of, you know, the upper end of, you know, middle class and for, for what is probably an increasing number of people that are, as you're saying, this is not an elective choice. It's totally dependent on that market and any threat towards the ability to access a stable home and not be living, you know, every 12 months wondering where are we going to go to next. I mean, that, that's got a huge psychological toll on people and certainly that many, many people that contact us, it, there's a tremendous anxiety that, that just is all prevailing and, 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 you know, it's not a way to live. Even us, we're, we're, yeah. we're, we're an extremely privileged family mm. and yet we're still... On, in limbo like we can't you, know, you can't plant things reasonably in the garden like yeah. vegetables or whatever you can't yeah. because you don't know that you don't get no, noticed at any moment that you've got 60 days to get out yeah yeah like you can't put down roots you don't know what you're doing in terms of you know yeah. childcare or schools or whatever because you don't know yeah what notice you're gonna and, get and, like, and i it's think just... yeah i mean the government tried to do that sort of with an earlier piece of legislation which has got through and they introduced these uh long-term tenancies which you know sort of greater than five years so you could have a tenancy for 10 15 but there's no market there's, exactly there's no market incentive uh at this point for people to do that um and i i suspect that some of the ideas that might be rolling around um is a bit like sort of okay well you can have the house for 10 years but you've got to do every repair job and again for that cohort um that's not going to be affordable for a lot of people so it it still doesn't resolve that core problem of people having long-term stable housing um whereas if you yeah. had something where it doesn't matter what the term of the lease is basically if the landlord wants to end it mm. they have to pay for the removing the removal costs and the lease of on early mm. that is the disincentive on you don't need to have a longer lease at that point you basically have a solution where the landlord can do it if they need to but otherwise, there is an incentive for them to leave the tenant put. If the tenant leaves of their own accord, they don't get their moving costs. They don't get their bond early yep. stuff. Yep. But the landlord basically has, cool, well, there's an incentive on my tenant to stay because the longer they stay, you know, they, if, if, I, if I kick them out, they're going to have to, um, I'll have to pay their moving. But if they just leave, then they, I don't. Mm. They have to find that money. So there's an incentive for the tenant to stay. And there's an incentive for the landlord to leave them. Basically, there's an incentive for that stability to be created by, in that system. Um, 
and it would only be ended for an actual good reason, not just you know the whim the landlord reckons they can get a bit more money out or they'd like to flip it or you know if they want to do that then absolutely whoever's, whoever's ending it compensate effectively makes it easier for the other yep and, and, and look I, I i couldn't agree more i mean i think jeremy you know it's it's a call to politics for you it's it, but again it, it's really the opportunity for for victorians at the moment at least to start getting that progressive shift to going these are some of the ideas why why is this not feasible why has this taken so long so that 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 voice um is is just so important to make sure that people because we we hear maybe what maybe fourteen thousand people a year about sort of what their issues might be in very very brief snippets um but you know you're looking at two million people i mean that that's a huge proportion of people um and, it, and it's such an important platform for what it means for for everyone and the knock-on costs of that so yeah i, I couldn't agree more uh we've got we've got to deal with what we've got at the moment um but you know it's the idea of going well why shouldn't there be landlord bonds landlords often don't do stuff too you know why why yeah. why, why not have a bond security so i can just go into vcat and go the oven's broken can you take some out of the kitty and the landlord tops it up in six months um you know All right, so so tenants <laughs> tenantsvic.org.au forward slash regulations um, and there's an opportunity to put down your your thoughts and your experiences and that submission then go through to the government before they uh, consider it which is seriously only a week and a half away so uh, that's Wednesday the Wednesday before Christmas so yes if you can go if listeners can make, go and make a comment that seems uh, it doesn't have to be necessarily very long Although you know you, you might you might want to have a rant. I want to have a rant. Um, <laughs> but you know somebody's got to read it at some point. But yeah, no, I I mean just it seems to me such a huge thing because it's basically mm. and so much flows from it. Like even even things like um, if you rein them in a bit, if you rein the house prices in by improving people's stability, people can invest. Like even the economic argument against yeah. not having any change because. So much you know, where they're like, oh well, the growth in the economy is really low. It is because people are terrified. They don't have any. They're spending so much on housing, and they've got so little security that they can't spend in the economy. They don't like. Yeah. There's so many aspects of the country as a whole that will benefit from a push back away uh, uh, from abso- this. Absolutely. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket science. No one's printing more money. It's just a question of where that money is going and it's going into the hands of investors. And until people have that extra liquidity to go and spend, you know, in the shops or however they want to participate in sort of a local market, um, then we don't expect that there'll be any massive change in the economy. So I think the the idea or, you know, what many countries have observed is sort of the obsession of, you know, um, you know your GDP and all that sort of stuff growing. I, I think there's a question of just simply where is the money going and for more and more families you know ideally what they do in direct, you know public housing is you're looking at about 25 percent of your income goes as rent and that's probably pretty good that's probably about the line um but what we're seeing is you know you're looking at people that are like 70 and if you're on centrelink i mean you're looking at you know in some cases 80 90 percent for not not a very good product more yeah like, and there's some places where you can't you literally yeah. can't find and, housing and, and, and historically i mean a lot of people sort of would go oh well i'll go into a regional area because the housing's you know cheaper out there but that's no longer the case you know there's no longer sort of that respite of you know being able to sort of go into a regional area and just go yep this is fine for me um there is well, i think they cut you off centering too if you move to a place where they th- they can say you've got fewer jobs <laughs> they're like oh right you went where housing was affordable i see well no not now we cut you off from centering <laughs> 
Yeah, well, the last thing you need is a, a robo debt coming after you, but uh, thankfully Legal Aid uh, nipped that one in the bun. It's uh, still got a way to go, but um, certainly congratulations to the guys at Legal Aid about that one. Um, yeah, but, I mean, all, all of that's connected. All of that's connected. I mean, you know, you get cutoffs for Centrelink and, you know, you've got to go through, you know, an appeals tribunal and that's going to take you six months. There's no magical protection in the Residential Tenancy Act that will buy you the time to get your fairness in Centrelink processes um, while, you know, you're waiting for your rent arrears to be sorted out. VCAT will have to deal with that sort of, you know, in a month. Um, so it's, well, it's it also also even just when you apply, somebody loses their job and they apply for Centrelink. There's a what eight week wait, but it's but they, it could be as long as they like because they're not back paying anymore. So it's not even now a matter of well, you know, I'll, I'll have my back pay from Centrelink soon. It's not even like that. They're just <laughs> like well, when we feel like it, we'll consider giving you some social security. Yeah. But uh, in the meantime, try not to die in the gutter. Yeah, it's it's just unintelligent social policy, and the knock on effect is extremely expensive. You know, you can preserve a tenancy, and you know, there's a window of time of delay, or you know, you've got a family that's got all the social workers involved. You know, you got to work out what the kids are. You got to do priorities. You know, you got all these workers that are assessing things. Um, it's yeah, as I said, there's a lot of work around feasibility about what what stable housing means, and even how sort of any subsidies or you know housing establishment is administered. There's it's a hard thing to keep track of, um, and again, it, it involves people telling their stories about going what happened and what would have happened if there was an intelligent social policy behind it. So we're we're going in the right direction, but <laughs> I think we both agree there's a very long way to go in terms of getting to to an optimum balance to make sure that everyone is safe. Housing is affordable, and um, you know people are people are hurt, and they they feel safe in their homes to just ask for a very very simple thing to be fixed, like the oven or the heater. And you know when summer comes, you chuck on the air conditioner, and you know you're not going to get a grand you know worth of bills. And I suspect that uh, in the same way as the um, regulations can be tinkered with now that the legislation's passed in a positive direction, <clears> presumably <throat> it's also possible that the real estate industry is also getting their you know their landlords and their um, the real estate agents and so forth to also campaign and com- make comment by Wednesday the 18th as well, mm. uh, which could potentially go wind some of those things back or have some other mm. things that mm. are Absolutely. negative. So it seems to me like it's very important if you don't want to see that happen to to um, comment. Yeah, indeed. That's indeed. I, I, I think that the coordination and sort of representation of bodies, I mean, that's, you know, as I said, we, we see a small cohort of, um, you know, 14,000 or so, but um, if anyone can jump on there and, you know, express what their views are, um, yeah, it, it does make a difference. Every story makes a difference. I mean, there's certainly, you know, there's been some ministers that they had, you know, mould issues in their house and it was only then that did they realise that mould within houses is actually a massive health issue. You know, we've got, we've got, we see plenty of kids that, you know, are getting sick, like they're literally getting sick because the house is contaminated. Um, you know, so, so these are not sort of insignificant, oh, there's a little, little few dots on the wall. These are, the room is black. Um, yeah. You know, so I think just the translation of the health costs associated with that and the duties of care. I mean, look, there are, as I said, there are a lot of good landlords that want to know, but it's just that unpredictability and it's the accountability for, for agents as well to do the right thing, to make sure that they're, they're not threatening, they're not bullying, that they are just an intermediary in terms of the communications. And if the process can't work, um, the tenant's confident that they can go through the tribunal. It's a quick process. Like for urgent repairs, I mean, you can get into the tribunal in two days, but just because of that fear, we see people, you know, wait six months, um, you know, just wondering, going, what are we going to do? And then they throw their hands yeah. up, they want to go. And, you know, then they find out they're getting sort of bad oral references. I mean, there are tenancy databases that are regulated. You can only be listed for certain things, but still pretty hard to capture you know what people talk about you know on the phone yeah yeah important super important. hopefully everybody will do that <laughs> all right 
So after that detailed discussion of housing matters, uh, it's probably a bit late to be going into any depth about uh, the things that were firing firing me up and probably l- listeners of the podcast up this week. Um, so I'm just going to touch on them so that, you've, that we've, we've commented, um, and but I'll do it in a, in a sort of a, a speedy, um, abridged way. But um, so first thing is so that to give uh, Angus Taylor's uh, in the libs who's having all the difficulty about basically fudging figures to try and do an attack on, on Clover Moore and uh, how his department did that. Uh, and, and and he's been caught sort of lying about it. Um, even in his maiden speech, he lied about being um, living in the same, just up the hallway from Naomi Wolf or something. It's just, he's just it's weird lies for no reason. Anyway, um, so he was having difficulty with that. And instead of that, Labor on the weekend decided that, hey, this is the time to dig up that ETS that Rudd and Turnbull negotiated uh, in 2009. Turnbull was then rolled. Abbott Got, uh, took over the Libs and said, no, we're going to vote against it. Uh, and uh, Rudd turned around to the Greens and said, no, you've got to vote for it. And the Greens said, uh, no, it's actually it's going to take the, take us backwards. Um, and uh, can we meet with you and negotiate? And Rudd was like, no, I'm not going to meet with you at all. And so refused to meet with them. So this this great Labor negotiator, this, this thing where they say the Greens insist on um, the perfect being the enemy of the good and the Greens won't negotiate. The story was of Labor refusing to negotiate. They wouldn't even talk to them. Anyway, the Greens voted against it. Um, and 10 years later, over the weekend, uh, Labor decided to have a whole big campaign uh, blaming the Greens for they, what they claim is 200 million tonnes of extra carbon emissions, um, which A, ignores that uh, the Greens and Gillard negotiated a carbon price uh, two years later, which actually worked, whereas uh, there's plenty of modelling showing that the Red Turnbull one wouldn't have. Um, and So they assume that Gil- the Gillard thing would never have happened and Tony Abbott wouldn't have been able to defeat them with with the Rudd ETS, given it, which he'd just rolled... Um, Turnbull on the subject, like he would run the same thing about it being a great big carbon tax on everything and being just as successful as he was against Gillard. Like it would have, the same thing would have happened. Anyway, Labor decided to pick that fight um, and, and they even had a motion in, in the Senate basically saying uh, the Greens are responsible for uh, all these extra emissions and killing killing the uh, any action in, on climate change in Australia, ignoring the fact that Gillard negotiated with them and it worked. Um, and they put this up and then the Greens voted against it, like of course they did, and then Labor's putting out on social media, the Greens voting against this motion on action on climate change. <laughs> like, no, they said we can vote for it if you change some parts. We said they... They're not going to vote for the thing that says they caused these emissions, which they don't agree they did, and which is extremely dubious. Anyway, so that was Labor. So that's our opposition. Meanwhile, uh, we've got Medivac. Uh, Jackie Lambie won't tell us quite what her deal with, was with uh, Scamo, but um, they voted to repeal Medivac on the basis that, so according to Lambie, she needed to stop people. People needed to not be drowning, um, which is fascinating because I don't think the government have actually claimed anybody has drowned as a result of Medivac. They're claiming the boats would stop. So why do we need to repeal Medivac? Well, mm. that doesn't make any sense. Um, and also her line that, that it should be the decision should be in the hands of, uh, of elected officials, not unelected doctors, which is wonderful. Uh, I, I look forward to Jackie Lambie's next trip to the doctor. Uh, when I say doctor, I mean Peter Dutton's office uh, where he's presumably putting up a surgery because he's... I mean, you can't have unelected doctors making your medical decisions for you. It's got to be up to politicians. I mean, that's who I trust for my medical advice. Um Bonkers, horrible. Uh, more the, the one minor bit of, and, and keep in mind that Dutton could still refuse anybody under the Medivac legislation. He could refuse them on security grounds, on criminal grounds. Um, he could even refuse them on medical grounds. It just then went to a panel. Like he still had all the discretion. It's just that he couldn't just go. I don't accept you've got a medical need. Like he he couldn't just bullshit that one. Like doctors got that safe. 
Anyway, that's gone because <laughs> our country is deranged and the media view it as a, 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 a two-horse game and they're like, Scott Morrison's going into Christmas with a win under his belt. It's like, <laughs> what a country. Um, and also, Rugby Australia folded on the Israel Folau thing. According to the Daily Telegraph, they paid him $8 million and they've done this sort of weird apology where they also claim that he um, he never meant to uh, hurt or offend anyone uh, and, and uh, he believes that nobody should be discriminated against for their sexuality. Like, he literally said that LGBTI people were equivalent to criminals. Damn right he intended for that. And um, the, the Australian had a piece where they're saying um, that, you know, sure, Falau probably won't play rugby in Australia for a while, but you never know. He might, uh, you know, give it a bit of time, a slightly different rugby Australia leadership, and, uh, you know, he might, might be redeemed. And he might, um, uh, that was that was his whole message too that you can uh, you can be redeemed and uh, and you're like no it wasn't his message was that the only way you could be quite redeemed is to repent from your sins and Flower in no way intends to repent from what he was saying and he's out there campaigning with the Christian lobby um, right afterwards saying we were vindicated and now it's time to get more protections for religious fundamentalists in the laws and that Scott Morrison has gone and withdrawn his religious discrimination bill not because it's a terrible idea that has no justification and nobody set out why what exactly it is that religious people are currently stopped from doing other than demeaning lgbti people he's withdrawn it not to make it you know not to reconsider whether there's any justification for it at all or to uh put in protections for lgbti people against uh homophobic hate speech uh in the guise of religion no he's withdrawn it because the religious lobby doesn't think it's tough enough so we're going to have a new one in the new year which is, look, this is ending on a down note. That's what I was saying at the beginning. I try to start with the bad stuff and leave with something positive, like maybe there's some moves ahead in housing and things could be better. But no, we're doing it in the reverse order and we're ending on that. So we're all doomed, is my point. <laughs> what a depressing week of bullshit. <laughs> look, I, my, my cynicism towards politics is one of a little bit like what you're talking about, the housing. It might be a question of... Uh, Blind, blind issues, no parties, and uh, people simply answer the question based on what they think is right. Be nice if democracy actually, you know, represented their local elective. I, yeah, the whole thing's um, a little bit beyond me. I, even this whole process of housing and reforms has been very, very insightful to see the the machinations and you know when good can be stifled and you know just understanding who ends up with the power at the end of the day to swing it one way or another. It's um, it's uh, the people with well, money. Well, it's yeah, it's deeply concerning. I mean, you know, if anything against my own profession, I mean, it's it's a it's a, a field full of lawyers that are you know privileged, um, and it, even you know, with due respect to the many people in the judiciary that are great judges, um, it would be nice to see. You know, there are some judges who grew up in public housing, and to be honest, I reckon you can see that in their decisions. You can see um, their understanding of social fabric and it is radically different so I, I like with with politics I mean I, I still have my constitutional fantasies of going we always talk about power corrupting and yet how do we have a separation of powers where the lawmakers also control the budget I mean for me that's just unfathomably insensible um, what why would you do that um, so yeah you know there, there are some shifts um, as we say we have dreams about what the ideal world might look like and we're going to take little steps um, so look I think there is hope I don't think we're all totally doomed but um, it may take a few generations of hardship to realize that you know there is a need for some sort of uh, <laughs> better use of the word a revolution a, a change um, you know and, th- and that that relies on people I might, I might uh, leave my my broader discussion about where I think. Well, I think the Greens should be doing at the moment because I, I, it worries me that uh, politics is so much 
angled towards the people who have money and resources. Um, and uh, a party like the Greens who are actually trying to pull back against that have uh, are never going to get a fair shake from the media. They're never going to get a fair shake from mm. the power structures that are in place because they are challenging them. Um, and it seems to me the, the, adva- the only thing that left-wing parties have uh, as a resource is people. And um, I'll extract... Mm. Look, I'm gonna, I'll get, in, get into this in more of a discussion in a future episode because I, I, <laughs> sure. I really... It, it annoys me at moment that, and I've, I've had broad discussions with the Greens and I, I think it's uh, pushing things uphill a bit, but it, it, the, the idea that um, they sort of... Because the mm. left-wing parties are often coming from a smaller base, um, they sort of shrink between elections. So they're yeah. active for yeah. you know six months around the election time and then they mm. sort of mm. you know, retreat into a... Into a you know, they hibernate. Yeah, and it seems to me yeah. that it seems to me that they need to be out there. They should be door-knocking for the, you know, all three, the whole, entire time. They should be campaigning. Yeah, well, I was going to say, like, I mean, on that sort of note, like, I mean, you know, my part of my family sort of got connections up into regional Victoria and that's always been a pretty um, big grievance is just sort of about that um, allegiance voting and people's understanding of Greens policies and particularly, I mean, even in housing and wherever else, there seems to be a massive disconnection between the politics that affects, you know, farmers up there that are experiencing drought and, you know, like, I mean, all the water allocations and the separation of water from land titles was such a big shift and there was there was nothing in the media about it and so now you can literally go out there and you can see you know there is just dry barren land and you know you've got companies from overseas just buying up while the market's low and and crippled um and you know that water right and you know the market's still going to be there but you know the farmers will no longer have the independence um, so there's certainly a yeah. huge shift in politics in terms of how people connect. And like you're saying, door knocking and the like, getting out into a regional area and having some credibility to undo, you know, generations of perhaps some levels of misconception. It's a big job. <laughs> big job. Yeah. Yeah. Right, we'll go into that a bit more yeah. in a future episode. So, Ben, presumably people can... Well, the, the thing you would most like them to find you at is the uh, tenantsfix.org.au sure. website to make that commentary. Yep. People can find us at Well May We Say on Twitter is probably the best place to engage. Uh, thank you to everybody who discusses the issues with us after the podcast. It makes a big difference feeling where there's a conversation back and forth. Um, thank you very much to our Patreon subscribers who keep the podcast going. Uh, thank you to everybody who's left a positive review on iTunes. Thank you, Robin Gray, for the music. Thank you, Alex Lum, for the artwork. Thank you, Ben, for coming on. And we will see the rest of you uh, all next week. Bye. All right, thanks, Jeremy.